Kia ora and welcome to the Dawn Chorus for Friday the 16th of July. I'm Bernard Hickey on the Kaka. Today I want to have a look at Three Waters Reform. We got a big announcement yesterday from the local government minister Nanaia Mahuta in tandem with both the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and the Deputy Prime Minister and Finance and Infrastructure Minister Grant Robertson. So a real full court press on councils at the local government New Zealand conference in Blenheim. This is all about Three Waters Reform and trying to calm down some of the grumpiness that's filtering through from the provinces from many councils and some of the biggest ones opposed to the Three Waters Reforms. Just uh, a bit of a step back to say what the heck they are. Um, Last year the government said hey we've got 67 water authorities and we're not very good at um, monitoring or producing very very clean drinking water, stopping stormwater from causing all sorts of grief and waterways, and of course wastewater, making sure that that's uh, clean. And the um, the main sort of focus of that is of course the Havelock North disaster of a few years ago. And looking ahead at the issues around water quality, you know, there's a whole bunch of unswimmable rivers and beaches, particularly around the big cities. And the government has done a whole bunch of research, brought in the Scottish Water Commission, which um, went through these sorts of um, uh, reforms, pulling together lots of little, little water authorities into one. And it's come up with a report that says over the next 30 years, the government will have to spend between $120 billion and $185 billion. When I say the government, i.e. the Council of Water Authorities, and the government is saying, hey, um, we can reduce this cost for councils and ratepayers if we bring those 67 water authorities down into four. And the proposal is for one big one up north that includes Auckland and all of Northland, one in the middle, which goes from <coughs> um, uh, Hamilton down to uh, Wellington and Blenheim, one on the other side, uh, so Gisborne uh, East Coast, and then one from the top of the South Island down, but not necessarily including Nelson and Blenheim. And the theory is that bringing them all together will make them more efficient, uh, find capital savings, make it easier to employ people, all of that good stuff. So this all seems very sensible. And it's fair to say that most councils agree some form of reform is needed. The question is how to do it and uh, how is everything carved up in a way that people think is fair. And uh, that's where the problem is. So um, before this conference... uh, Auckland, so Phil Goff, Christchurch, Leanne Dalziel, um, a whole bunch of smaller councils, particularly Whangarei, Waimakariri, said, uh, we don't like this, um, we're probably going to oppose it. Now, sitting in the background here is the threat that Nanaia Mahuta has that she could force this through, because the government obviously has a majority in Parliament and they could legislate over the top of the councils to essentially move the assets and the debt off-council balance sheets into these four authorities. So yesterday, the government came out with a new set of carrots to try and tempt the councils on board. This isn't the first set of carrots. The first one was last year, $761 million put aside to compensate councils for this change. And then there was another $296 million in the budget, although, that, to be fair, that was largely to pay for the creation of these new authorities and a whole lot of office moving and... 
redundancy payments and um, golden handshakes and parachutes, I'm sure. And that is, uh, so 761 million in July last year, another 296 million in the budget in May. And now, yesterday, the government's come up with $2.5 billion worth of uh, carrots, which the opposition has described as bribes, which I think is um, unfair and not particularly helpful to the debate. But um, that's the way it's presented in the uh, top line um, five-second sound grab world of politics. Digging a bit below that, what is really going on here? Well, essentially, we've got a big problem with water in that over the last 30 years both the central government and councils have underinvested heavily in water and they haven't improved their investments to cope with um, higher expectations for water quality you know people quite like to swim at the beach and not have a big sign saying it's got lots of poo floating around or they quite like like not having to boil their water or maybe they quite like not getting sick maybe the people just accepted getting sick uh, all those years ago um, and uh, certainly the investment hasn't coped with the population growth you remember we've got a, an extra million people we didn't expect to have uh, 20 30 years ago and um, essentially we built a system of government from 1989 onwards which starved uh, the country of infrastructure investment because uh, the group of people who set the rules back in 1989, the legislation, in particular the Public Finance Act, but the local government reforms that went through and the Local Government Act 2002, essentially believed that uh, government wasn't very good at doing infrastructure, that the private sector would be better, and that over the years up till 1989, New Zealand had over-invested in infrastructure. Uh, there was a visceral hatred of anything, think biggie, and... Um, uh, you know, one of the reasons we got the Resource Management Act is because the um, the previous, you know, Muldoonish era government's use of um, various planning tools and um, arbitrary taking of land and um, building of projects uh, made a lot of people grumpy. So altogether, um, the last thirty years have meant that we have underinvested heavily in part because we didn't invest for all these extra people that came that were, in theory, unexpected, although actual decisions were taken to grant visas. Um, and uh, all of this means we've got a problem. We have to invest the $150 billion at least to uh, over the next 30 years to do that. Now, part of the problem here is that councils, uh, in various different ways, have chosen different ways to fund their infrastructure, they have an aversion to debt um, to pay for infrastructure, again, built by the structural um, opposition to debt and forcing councils to not run deficits and uh, also look to reduce their debt. Same with the central government. And of course, the way to fund this sort of infrastructure is with debt. There is now enormous demand from bond investors globally for these sorts of uh, council, or they call them municipal bonds and government bonds, um, particularly anything with the green label on it. And, and if you're building climate change infrastructure or housing infrastructure or fixing infrastructure to improve water quality, that's uh, remarkably green. And uh, this um, means that the government has uh, both a problem, how to do all this investing, and an opportunity to uh, take it over and do it now. Because at the moment, the councils aren't doing it properly. 
They are, uh, may suffer the, an even worse democratic deficit than the government does in that lots of older people living in suburban homes who actually don't want change and ne- were never asked to allow all these extra people in, certainly don't want the debt and the rates that come with um, investing heavily in new infrastructure. So they're not keen to do the infrastructure investment, and so the government's going to have to step in and try to do it. But in the process of you know um, pulling these assets and debts out of councils and putting them onto these new water authority balance sheets, which of course will have a slightly better um, credit rating than councils um, because they'll be seen as you know very much tied to the crown. Although to be frank, um, the way that ratings agencies view council debt is pretty much you know guaranteed by the government anyway. So. I don't think there's much to be gained in terms of uh, uh, debt savings there. The only issue is that central government will be, in theory, uh, more able to um, borrow and more quickly and in a more controlled, planned way than councils who currently aren't doing the job. So um, where are we with all of this and what could we have done differently? Well, the reaction to yesterday's Three Waters proposal from... The mayor's wasn't great. Um, Phil Goff said he still was opposed. Um, He actually wants to see Auckland carved out a bespoke model for Auckland. He obviously doesn't want to take on all of Northland's water problems. Uh, And um, he says, you know, we've already done the work. We're doing great. Um, You're punishing us for other people's sins. And says that, uh, you know, 92% of the assets going into this new Northern Water Authority are from Auckland, and 90% of the population is from Auckland, but he says only 40% of the governance is going to come from Auckland. So he's worried that all the good stuff goes into the new thing and then Auckland loses control, although there'd be a few Aucklanders who say they've already lost control because it's a council control organisation. But uh, what it means is that Phil Goff is still unhappy, Christchurch is unhappy, uh, Leanne Delzeal has said that the package raises many questions and she's previously been um, pretty lukewarm on it. There's been a couple of councillors, I suspect, um, for their own reasons, come out and describe the package as, quote, pocket change and um, and that Christchurch wouldn't fall for a bribe of $120 million. So out of this $2.5 billion, Auckland gets around about $508 million, Christchurch $120 million. And you can find the, the details and a link in the Gudorn Chorus today to a very uh, comprehensive Department of Internal Affairs set of papers. Uh, the Waimakariri Council and the Whangarei Councils are also pretty much opposed to the reforms. So what's going to happen now? Well, Nanaya Mahuta, she still has this stick in her back pocket. And, you know, if you don't come on board voluntarily, I'll force it through. And it's unclear yet whether people will get to keep the, the goodies if they choose to stay outside the tent. Uh, that will be one of the things she's hoping that that strategic ambivalence will will um, try and, and nudge people along. But of course, the detail about uh, um, who gets what and how much debt's transferred and also how much room there will be in the uh, borrowing headrooms of the councils after the debt and the asset attached to the water has moved on is all very different depending on where you are. So, for example, Auckland has done a lot of its investment, and it could be argued is um, more um, up-to-date with its investment than others. Certainly, it's charging volumetrically, which was very controversial at the time and which helps pay for this sort of stuff and also helps um, deal with the problems from the demand side, um, reducing the need for lots of uh, pipes. Um, It's amazing how quickly people find the holes when they realise they have to pay per litre. 
And Auckland is a bit of an outlier here. Uh, Wellington, Christchurch and Dunedin don't have the same sort of volumetric charging for households. And uh, that's a politically difficult thing. And actually, some councils may want to, you know, flick past this on to the government and say, here, you have the bloody thing. <laughs> you take the political pain for the water charges that are going to come. Christchurch, for example, in its long-term plan, uh, it already says it's going to have to look at water charges. And so um, that's one of the political uh, um, drivers in this process, that the government is going to be getting the hospital passes of dealing with new water charges for most of the big cities, Auckland excluded. That's part of the reason I think Auckland feels a bit um, grumpy, is that they've taken all the pain, and um, now they're going to have to hand over their baby. A baby, by the way, water care, which um, you know could be argued has helped subsidise other parts of councils. And this is one of the concerns councils have, is that by carving out the water assets, you remove the ability to effectively use your water assets and the charges that come with them and the ability to borrow money against them as a um, diversification and buffering tool in your own financial planning. So that will be um, an interesting battle ahead. So it's just stepping back from this, stepping back from the sort of, you know, the devilish detail of council by council and the political wins here and there. Remember, we've got council elections coming next year and the government really doesn't want this to build into some sort of, you know, um, country versus city uh, battle. You know, every provincial mayor and every um, aspiring National Party MP getting together in a groundswell protest outside the council offices. Uh, up and down the country, um, which is what, in theory, we're going to see later today, all getting together into a sort of a you know anti-centralisation protest that involves everything from the ute tax to winter grazing rules and water quality standards and um, generalised fear about what's coming with climate reform. So the government obviously doesn't want that. Um, but the problem here is that everyone is doing the business as usual thing of thinking the solutions here are incremental. Remember, we've got a group of politicians in Wellington and also a lot of mayors who weren't around pre-1989. They are embedded in the world of MMP. They're embedded in the world of Public Finance Act, where you don't solve your problems by borrowing lots of money and investing in infrastructure because you don't invest in infrastructure. That's not what governments are supposed to do. And secondly, under MMP, it's very difficult to get big reforms and big changes through because you always need to have a coalition partner who's basically going to stop you from doing anything major. So the accepted way of doing things under MMP, and we saw this with uh, Helen Clark, with John Key, and now with Jacinda Ardern, is that you do things incrementally, that you um, slowly, slowly catchy monkey, boil the frog, move year by year along the way and in theory you have time to solve the problems and make them stick because the worry is in theory that once you make a big reform then you know if you get elected out the next time around the new government completely reverses it and uh, that's why you do things very 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 slowly bitsy bitsy hitsy bitsy well that's exactly what's happened here uh, this time around in that the government started out with 761 million as its uh, carrot, then it added $296 million in the budget this year, and now it's another $2.5 billion. so we're up to $3.5 billion of, you know, is this enough? Oh, it's not. Oh, a little bit more. Oh, 
is this enough? Oh, it's not. And um, trying to, you know, do all the deals behind the scene and, and uh, say nothing to see here and move along. When actually we have two existential emergencies in front of us that I think don't allow us the time to do the incrementalist thing. Also, we have an opportunity, which is A, that um, perhaps for the only time in this generation, we have a government able to do things on its own. You know, the government has a majority in parliament. That's um, unprecedented in a MMP era. And it's quite possible um, after the election in 2023 that could still be the case, especially with the opposition in such trouble. And um, we also have borrowing costs at, you know, epic lows, still under 2%. And despite what you're hearing this week about the Reserve Bank, you know, pulling back on money printing and inflation's about to come and interest rates are about to spike higher and stay higher, uh, just uh, remember that the rest of the world doesn't think that and are still printing like mad. And we are part of the world. And um, this idea that somehow inflation is going to come back 1970s style and we're, we'll have high interest rates again very quickly, um, it's just not true. Uh, and if you want to check on that, uh, go and have a look at the US 10-year government bond yield, which is still at 1.3%. And also, you know, the bond yields for New Zealand government and local government debt, which are still below 2%. That's a, that's a negative real interest rate, basically. So um, there is an opportunity, a majority government with, in theory, a mandate to tackle these emergencies of climate change and housing affordability, plus a, a very um, cheap time for borrowing. Um, but we're not taking that opportunity because the political DNA of the likes of um, well, everyone in government, basically, and Treasury and Department of Internal Affairs is all about incrementalism and slowly, slowly catchy monkey. And um, that was fine uh, when we didn't have a you know, screaming emergency in front of us, but that's what we have right now with climate change in particular. But actually, in housing affordability, the, um, the COVID era uh, jump in house prices of 30, and I think by the time we get to the end of it, 50 to 60 percent is catastrophic for those people who want to get into housing and also those who are renting because rents are rising at least as fast if not faster than incomes and then we already have the least affordable housing market in the world and we've just had four or five years of being the most explosively growing housing market in terms of prices in the world so they're they're emergencies and apart from anything else it's starting to dawn on voters uh, particularly younger ones, that there has been a massive intergenerational transfer of wealth gone on over the last 30 years, and it's been capped off by what happened during COVID. About a trillion dollars um, by um, uh, my finger in the air, um, looking at the amount of money that's now in the value of houses that's been pulled forward into the value of houses because generations of politicians and voters over the last 30 years chose not to invest in infrastructure, which would have allowed that house building. And they've also, of course, not taken the hard decisions on climate change. We're still increasing our emissions. Uh, we're well above 1990 levels. Just this week, for example, the Europeans have announced plans to reduce their emissions to 55% below their 1990 levels within nine years. So we're well behind the game there, and we should watch out because... Uh, just this week, too, the Europeans have announced plans for a carbon border adjustment mechanism, which is another word for punishing imports from countries who aren't pl 
playing the the game properly on climate change, which could easily include us and Australia, by the way. So, um, you know, a generation is, it's dawning on them that there has been a massive shift of wealth from them and from the future to the current owners of housing. And it's been engineered through these um, decisions taken over 30 years to starve future generations of infrastructure investment. And now the the bill is coming forward. Um, now the it's all coming home to roost. And, you know, big climate events um, destroying things, house prices going up all over the place. And I think the government and Treasury and internal affairs and the likes haven't really thought about the potential political risks over the next decade or two of a backlash. And secondly, just don't have the ambition or the um, imagination to realise there's an opportunity here. And it looks like it's going to be it's going to be missed. We'll see. Um, Treasury's starting to sort of edge, again, incremental style, edge towards a more sensible approach on using the balance sheet to solve some of these longer-term issues. We'll see whether it's adopted. At the moment, the um, language coming out of um, the Beehive, in particular the Prime Minister and also the Finance Minister, still very much along the lines of, quote, keeping a lid on debt. In fact, the Prime Minister yesterday used the argument of removing uh, some of the debt constraints from councils um, as part of this process, which they aren't debt constrained. They can easily raise money and um, they have plenty of assets. Uh, and the only reason they don't really have the revenue to service these debts, um, although they can easily handle it right now, is because the government won't let them have the revenue. And that eventually will be part of the debate around you know, whether governments allow uh, councils to take some of the GST revenues and get some sort of incentives to allow population growth and particularly housing supply growth. So um, what's going on here? We have a groupthink uh, that is all about incrementalism for two major problems, which are emergencies. And the Three Waters Reform is an incrementalist's um, approach to a fundamental long-term problem. And at the moment, it's not really working. We'll see whether that changes much at all. Now, what else is happening today that I'm keeping an eye on? Uh, we have um, news out of uh, Victoria that Melbourne is going into a quick lockdown because a bunch of Sydney side has turned up and infected people. Sydney looks like it's going to be in lockdown for, you know, could be months. Uh, obviously, the bubble is, is gone. Um, we're not taking people from Victoria and New South Wales at the moment. You'd have to wonder how long the Queensland one lasts. Uh, big news on the diplomatic front. Looks like there's going to be a Zoom call that has Xi Jinping in it that Jacinda Ardern will lead, which is uh, interesting. And we'll see whether she um, uh, calls him out on some of the problems in Xinjiang province and in, in Hong Kong. Uh, and just a bit of um, news for the um, media geeks out there. The Australian is reporting that Quadrant, the private equity company that controls MediaWorks, which of course is the former TV3, but now owns the radio arm of uh, MediaWorks and the outdoor advertising arm, billboard arm. Uh, so that's the likes of what was Radio Live. And of course all those radio stations which have about half the market. 
um, it looks like Quadrant are putting it up for sale again. There had been some talk of a, of a float on the New Zealand market and that has been put off till next year and currently Quadrant apparently has called in the investment bankers to put it up for sale. So this is a company which basically has been permanently for sale or in receivership ever since it was um, created in 1989. So nothing new for people who work there, but um, worth keeping an eye on. And uh, also watch out today, we'll get some CPI figures um, from New Zealand just um, just to reinforce again uh, for those people who are freaked out about inflation and calling for big rate hike rate heights here. Um, again, overnight uh, we saw um, another fall in the U.S. government bond yield. Investors overseas are now seeing that the Delta variant waves are really causing all sorts of um, grief and slowing down recoveries. And we got some numbers out of China yesterday that their GDP growth wasn't quite as robust as we were all expecting, that the growth is slowing down quite a bit. And in fact, the um, central bank there is actually doing some things which some people would say is easing monetary policy. So, um, you know, we are jumping ahead of everyone else, and that's helping to push our currency up, uh, because we are thinking it's a 1989 or <laughs> again, um, which I don't think is actually true. But we shall see. Um, someone's right and someone's wrong. I'm currently in the camp that says inflation is not a problem in the long run and interest rates stay low and it's an opportunity rather than a threat. But um, there we have it. Quite a detailed and long uh, um, dawn chorus this morning because um, I love talking about three waters and the structural issues we have. It is uh, Friday morning, the 16th of July. I am Bernard Hickey for the Kaka.